Glad to be back. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, like Luke said, I have been gone for six weeks, and I'm glad to be back seeing smiling faces uh, this morning and new babies, babies being born while I was gone. So it's good to be back. Um, we were in Texas, and if you don't know where Texas at or if you've never been to Texas, uh, Texas is the other T-state. Or when I'm in Texas, they call you guys the other T-state. So um, a little bit of competition going on there. But Texas is a great place. Um, everyone is number one in Texas. And the reason I know that is because they let everyone know that on the interstate when they're driving. They're all number one, honking their horns and, and yelling at each other. So it was good to come home. We got to come home to a, to a camp out, daddy-daughter camp out. God bless us with some rain this morning. We haven't seen that in about six weeks. So it was great to, it was great to, to get away, but we are excited to be home. So, welcome to Legacy, and hello. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after church. Um, But if you want to this morning, if you have a Bible, or you have an app, or you have a device, I'm using an iPad this morning because my printer wouldn't work. Um, So we have an I have an iPad up here this morning, not because I'm trying to be trendy, but because technology is a pain sometimes. So turn with me to Acts six. That's where we're going to start. Luke asked me to 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 speak on this particular passage. And then he said, Acts 6, man. And then he gave me the rest of it. So we're going through two chapters today. We're going from Acts 6, starting, um, starting there. And then we're going to go all the way through chapter 8. Not the end, though, just the first four verses. So this morning we're going to cover a lot of ground. I promise I'm trying not to bore you. I'm trying not to read to you. But, but we're going to have to go through some text this morning. And it's going to be good. So <clears throat> what we're looking at this morning, we'll get started. We've got a lot, a lot of work to do. But Luke preached through the, the first part of 6 last week. If you weren't here, Stephen has been chosen um, to serve, and that's where we pick up the text. And so what we're looking at is the story of Stephen and how, how he fits into this. Stephen was the first, just a little bit of history, Stephen was the first martyred Christian after they had crucified Christ. So this is the first death we see of one of these men after Jesus was crucified. And the timeline is really difficult to tell. I did a little research on that. We're looking at, we, some people, there's kind of two camps. Some people think this happened about three months after Christ's ascension. And some people think it happened about, this happens about 18 months. I, I tend to fall on the three-month line because of how raw and real the text is. How, how mad and how angry and how infuriated these guys get at the fact that Stephen is still continuing to preach. That this problem is not going away. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Who, who here this morning has been angry? Anybody ever been angry? A few hands, just a few, not very many. Anger, anger is one of those deals that, that I struggle with. Personally, um, when we, my, me and my wife first got married, she's not here this morning. Obviously, she's at home resting after that long trip, getting the house ready. But she's not here, but, but I'm going to tell a little story. But we were, we were walking through some difficult stuff in our marriage when we first got married. And I was an angry, angry individual. My dad was an angry man, and I kind of just brought that into our marriage. And it didn't really hit me. I thought I was fine until my mother-in-law one day asked my wife, she said, I'm worried about Michaela, which is my 13-year-old sitting there when she was a baby. She said, Chris is so angry, I'm worried that he might do something to her or you. And that really is the first time, and this is long before Jesus, but that was the first time that I really felt like I'm an angry person. And it really just, it really just settled settled in me. And I, and I began to try to make some changes, but yet I still had some anger that was in my heart. Um, and it didn't matter. It was anger over, over or anything could set me off, you know? So, so I want to talk. We're going to look and talk about the, the angry people we see in this story, in this particular passage, um, in, the, in the story of Stephen and what that looks like and what they were going through. So if you will, I already asked you to turn there, but let's go to Acts 6, uh, starting in verse 8, where Stephen is seized. We're going to pick it up right there. 
<clears throat> we're going to work through this passage, not verse by verse, but, a, but chunk by chunk here. So verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, don't judge me, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from, I'm messing up this morning, tongue-tied, and Asia, we'll skip it, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Okay, so, so he is full of power and grace. So what, what the author's trying to do here is he's trying to drive the point home that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of the spirit and the grace and the power of God. Okay, and that is on him, and he's speaking with that. And now, now understand, he's not in a safe place, right? I mean, Christ has been crucified. These people want this to go away, and it's not going away. So, so they, then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So what story does this sound like? Sound like Jesus, yeah. Sounds like Jesus' story, being, being accused of, of, of the, and brought before a council. And they set up false, false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words, this man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and I will change the customs that Moses, and will change the custom that Moses Delivered to us. So he's, he's speaking that this temple, again, the temple will be destroyed and the law will be destroyed. So he's preaching against two, the charges brought against him are those two things that these men have brought against him. And it says, in gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. I mean, this, what we're looking at is a very, very just, just intense scene. This man, the power, the grace, the wisdom of God is preaching and telling these men what, what is to come, just like Jesus of Nazareth. And they, again, obviously have the same response, right? They're angry. They're upset. They, they gain people to lie and, and, and kind of come into the council and, and, and falsely accuse him of these, of these acts. But, but we see that he has the, the face of an angel. He's the power of the Spirit. He's so full of the Spirit, he, he looks like an angel. It's how full. Just try to... In these verses, the 8 through 15, that's what's happening here is the author's trying to create and paint this picture of what was going on with Stephen. When we enter into verse 7, or chapter 7, I'm not going to read all this to you, chapter 7 being the longest chapter in Acts, 60 verses. I'm not going to stand up here and read that to you. Nobody wants that. I don't want that. So y'all don't want to listen to me, listen to me read to you. So what I'm going to do is shortly just paraphrase what he's, what's going on, what's being said, not word for word, just going to go through it real quick. Um, but what happens is he begins to, to tell, as he's accused, he's standing before the council, he's, he's asked to give an account what's going on, and he does. He, he begins to, it says speech, but he really begins to preach. And he begins to tell the entire overarching story of the Old Testament, right, beginning with Abraham. That's where he starts. And what he's trying to prove as he's walking through this, or not prove, maybe prove, but trying to tell them is that God is with them. They have a very present, very active God. Because they're, they're trying to hold God up in this temple, right? God, God is wrapped up in the law somehow. We can't touch him. He's in this temple and we can't access him, right? You see what's going on here. They're trying to control the situation. They're trying to move, move their people and control their people and keep them kind of tied up in this, right? 
And so he's preaching against that. So what he does is he begins this, this, this speech of the Old Testament beginning with Abraham and showing them that, that God mercifully chose Abraham. Right? God, God promised Abraham, you know, a, a, a multitude of children, right, which we know would become Israel. But he, he starts him and calls him and pushes him to go. And he doesn't tell him where. Abraham takes off and goes. But then he, he, somewhere in the story, he begins to settle in this place. And God urges him. It says it urges him. The scriptures say it urges him and moves him to continue on. So there, God is. Then, that, then, we, then, he, then he transfers into the story of Joseph, great, the great-grandson of Abraham. And, and some of us know the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, his 12 brothers. And, and Stephen very interestingly uses in chapter 7, he uses the word patriarchs. And he does that on purpose because they would have known who the patriarchs were. They would have known who Stephen was speaking of and the patriarchs being the 12, the fathers. And so he uses that to tie that in and shows that in that story, even in the, even in the brother's sin, of, of selling their brother into slavery and resisting and rejecting what God was speaking through Joseph in his dreams. He uses that. He uses that sin to ultimately save them, right? Because we know that Joseph ends up in Egypt next to Pharaoh, highest in the kingdom, right, in charge of all the food. And these people are starving, and they have to come to him and ask him for food. So God, again, saves them, right? And then we see... We see Moses in the story. We fast forward, you know, again, and we see the story of Moses. And the first time Moses has a chance and an opportunity to lead the people, the Israelites, in Egypt to lead them, they reject him, right? They, 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 they push back. And Moses flees. We see Moses fleeing. And then God seeks him out and brings him back ultimately to use Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. Again, God very present. God very active. God not wrapped up in a temple. And then we see the, the wandering in the desert take place where they're, where they're out in the desert. And even though they've got pillars of fire, smoke rings around a cloud, right? Moses speaking directly with God. Even though they have all that, they're still demanding that idols be made. They're still demanding they can worship these idols. Again, rejecting God, rejecting his message, rejecting the Holy Spirit, right? And that's what we see, we see happening up to the point where the temple is built. And that's where Stephen's point, that's really where he's driving it home, is the temple is built by Solomon, right? And so, so what he's trying to drive home is that God, God does not dwell in a house made of hands, right? He's, with, he's in us. He's in us. And that's what he's trying to push um, these, these religious priests and men to believe and see, They didn't want to submit to a God that didn't need their works or idols, right? So they became angry, right? We're going to look at that. Now we're, we're pulling through verse 7. I'm going to end, or chapter 7. I'm going to end on his, on his speech. We're going to pick it up in verse 49, I believe. We have that up there, Sean. He begins to quote Isaiah in verse 49. Yes, there it is. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is this place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So Stephen begins to quote, in his speech he quotes Isaiah, which they would have known. And then he really turns up the juice. This is what I like right here. You can tell that reading, if you read chapter 7, you can really feel, right, as he's preaching through what I just went through in that, that quick little five minutes. You can, you can kind of feel the tension building. You can feel it. 
And so he, he drops this in there just to cut. He's saying, look, God doesn't need this temple or man-made things. And then he just turns it on. He goes for the jugular. He says, you stiff-necked people. Where else have we heard stiff-necked people, right? In the same stories he's just coming out of. Uncircumcised in your heart. So stiff-necked people speaking of Moses in the desert. That's how he referenced them. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. Speaking of the covenant of Abraham. He's taking them back. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Again, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He's looking at them and saying, you did this. You killed Jesus. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he's not backing down. He's very bold, right? Remember, right, right here, we're talking, we're talking power of the Holy Spirit manifested in this man, right? And then their response. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Who in here has ever been so mad that they grind their teeth? Right? Anybody? Nobody's raising their hand now. Y'all just said y'all were angry earlier. Now nobody's raising their hand. I'm the only one. I was talking to Luke about this and he gave me a little, gave me a little uh, tidbit of information, a little nugget, as I like to call him. But he said, when that happens, that's just like the height of stress. Like you're just... You, you typically clench your fist, you know, with your teeth. Anybody's dentist ever told them they grind their teeth at night? I mean, this is, this is anger. Like, they are just so flat out mad, and he will not be quiet. It says, but he, again, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And, and Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You think that made things better? <laughs> Probably not. So, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So, so he says this. He's still going for it. They're grinding their teeth. They're mad. And they cover their ears. They don't want to hear anything else he has to say. And now they all rush at him. Now it doesn't say how many, but I imagine it wasn't two or three. So a mob of men are running at him. They cast him out, at, verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll talk about Saul in a minute. It's the first time we hear of Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sound familiar? And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So we see him enter the story similar to Jesus, and we see him exit this story very similar to Jesus, almost the same words that Christ spoke on the cross. Right? So this man was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand that. So why? So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why are they so angry? This man had a great message, right? Why are they, why, it's good news, right? You, you don't need the law. You don't need this temple. Why are they so angry? The answer lies, the answer lies in the idols, right? And when I first, when I first was looking at it, my mind went straight to the temple and the law. Those are the two idols 
that, that I, just, I just fell on. Those are, those are it. But, but the, the real reason, we kind of have to go back a little bit, is they're threaten, he, he's threatening their church system, their entire way of life. Right? He is threatening the things that they hold most dear. They're both, they're both they would seem like they're idols, but in reality, it's, it's not the temple, the law, that's the idol. It's what those things got them. So what did the temple and the law mean for these men? It meant power. It meant identity. Right? And so, just like us in church today, not today, not, 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 this, not this particular building. Let's be real, let's be honest, we're, we're in a high school. Right? Can we all agree? I mean, we buy these, we put up these curtains and these screens and these lights, and we're not trying to fool anyone. We're in a high school. Okay? So we're, we're, we're not in a church. But people approve of us, right? In our community, people approve of us by our religious accomplishments. Right? Oh, that, that guy's a good guy. He's a Christian. He goes to church. I know him. He's a, he's a really good guy. And we have that sense of approval just because we go to church. When we say we go to church, we don't say, hey, we're going to a high school this week. Do you want to join us? We say, hey, we're going to, we're going to church, right? So people know that we go to church. People know that we congregate here on Sundays, and your friends and your neighbors know these things, and we get that sense of approval. So just like, just like us today, just like them, it was, even, it was even deeper. They had extreme influence, right? They had extreme influence, and they could control people with this. They could control um, how much these people saw, how much these people were allowed to do. And then there was the law, the, the law that gave them their identity, right? It made them who they were, and they would kill for it as we see they would kill for this law. And this is where they get their identity and sense of approval, through the law, through the temple. The temple and the law point to the idols of identity and approval for these men in control. Those are the idols. So think about it. When you're looking at your own life and your own heart, you know, for cars, houses, jobs, Right? Those things we immediately would go to and say, if I ask you today, what are some idols in your life? Those are the things that you would say are idols. But in reality, it's what, is, what does that job get you? Right? What does that car get you? Those things are the idols. A job isn't the idol. Right? You've got to make money. You've got you to eat. Right? That's not the idol. The idol is whatever that job gets you, the power it delivers to you, the control that you, you have. And so that's what we're dealing with here in this, in this passage is the, these men, the temple and the laws weren't their idols. It was their, it was their hearts and searching and, and, and trying, to, trying to keep power and control over these people. That's why they're so angry. And they resist. It says clearly in that, it's one of the hardest cutting verses for me, 51, when he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, this is when you look at this and, and what's going on and what he's saying and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's like, that's just straight up just prophetic. Jesus is speaking through, these, through him, man. Jesus is confronting their idols at the root. He's confronting these men right there, telling them they always resist. They, and we do it too. We resist the very message that sets us free. We resist, we resist this. Right? We resist other people speaking into our hearts, into our lives. Right? Even people that we love and know. I'm in comm group, but this, this front row right here, this is my, this are, these are members of my comm group. And we, we sit in the living room every week and we talk about things and we talk about the, the messages and we talk about uh, life. Right? 
And sometimes I hear things that, that I'm like, oh, man, man I, I'm really messed up. I mean, I'm like, oh, I need to pray about that. I need to, I need to get deliverance or something. You know what I mean? Because it just, I mean, some of that stuff cuts, but that's good. That's God working through these people to work on my heart and my idols in my life. That's why we feel community is so important here. That's why we want to get outside of these walls and be the church in the streets and in the city, on mission, in Knoxville. That's what this church does. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing the fact of what we're doing here. Corporate worship is very important. Partnership is very important to us. Luke's speaking on partnership next week. It's very important to us. Be a part of something bigger than yourself, and bigger what's going on. A corporate body is very important. Drilling it down all the way to community groups. But as I said, Jesus is speaking through Stephen, right? The good news is he's, he's, he's speaking through Stephen. The Holy Spirit has come on him. This message that he portrayed, the message that he gives could have set them free. It could have delivered them, but they were resistant to it, right? So Jesus spoke of destroying this religious type of temple. That's what, that's what, that's what he was speaking of, of his, of his body when he would die and be raised. We see the same story so that God would get his glory because God will have his glory, Right? And the funny thing where we struggle is he doesn't need us to get it. That's where we struggle. We think, wait a minute, God needs me to get this glory, and he doesn't. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, one of my, one of my favorites. My, my daughter cut me out a post-it note this morning. Isn't that cool? She cut me out a little tab for my Bible. Just thought I'd show everybody that. Thankful for that this morning. Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the message that he's, he's trying to portray here is that God is glorious. God is in control. God is sovereign. God God doesn't need a temple made by hands. We are the temple. We are the church. And we struggle with that. We have a hard time with that. This message liberates, right? When you hear this message, when you hear the word preached, when you read the word, this message that's in this Bible will liberate you. It It will free you. Right? Your friends in community, your families that are in community, preaching to you, loving on you. Those things liberate us. Approval, power, and identity. Where, do, where, do, where are we getting them? In your own life, where are we getting them? Where are you getting your approval? Is it in your family? Is it in your kids? Is it in your job? Is it your boss? Your identity, your house, your cars? Maybe your job. We have to ask ourselves those questions because these idols are what's keeping us from mission. These idols are what's keeping us from mission and being the church. And we get frustrated. We look at this, we go, well, why am I struggling with this? Why am I having a hard time making and connecting the dots? What are, what's missing? And, or you look in someone else's life and say, why aren't they getting it? Every week after week after week, I'm preaching the gospel and they're not getting it. It's because everyone's sanctification looks different. Right? 
My sanctification doesn't look any, anything like David's. Right? And sanctification, the path to which we walk to glorification, when Jesus comes back and takes me to heaven, whether I'm in the ground or, or, or on this stage speaking, this, my sanctification looks different than anyone else's. Right? So, we're, so some of us, some of us are, are, are walking our sanctification out. We're early on in that. Some of us are, are further along in that. So it looks different. That's where we get frustrated. But, but the reality is what Stephen's trying to do here, he's trying, what happened with Stephen in particular like most of us is, is that we, we have to reach in. We have to pull those idols out. We have to pull those idols out of our heart, right, and make a stand and say, Jesus can have everything. He can have it all. Jesus, take this. This is yours. I'm not going to be stiff-necked or a Jew anymore. It's yours. That's what we have to say. And we say that in some parts of our lives. Some parts of our lives we say that, we do that. We, we're very easy with those things. We give those things up and they're very easy. Some of them are harder to give up. For me, it's my kids. Right? For me, it's my, my kids. So I see my children and I, and, I, and, I, and I want them to do good and I want them to be good and I want them to be successful. I want them to be protected. I want them to be sheltered. Right? And I have to give them up and say, God, you love them way more than I ever could, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't have to seek approval and identity and power through my kids because you love me. So we're looking at the end of this in chapter 8. So we're kind of reining it in here. Oh, there I go. Touching my face. Face mics are very awkward. If anybody ever had to wear one of these. Chapter 8 says, Saul ravages the church. Now, Saul, most, um, mostly everybody knows this. I'll just touch on this real quick. Sorry if you already know. Saul, Saul we see later on in Acts, uh, radically converted. Saul becomes Paul. Paul who writes most of the New Testament, we see. But here, we don't see him in a very good light. Here we see him with a hard heart set on destroying Christians. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this is where we see the church begin to come under persecution. Finally, they weren't going to let these men continue to preach and teach. They were going after them. And so this morning as you look, and, and, I, and I don't know where everyone's heart is, but your heart might be in the place that, that Saul's is here, maybe hard. Right? It may be resisting the Holy Spirit, maybe resisting him getting a hold of your heart and turning it, turning it into a flesh. Maybe this morning you're feeling a conviction, and that's not anything I'm doing or saying. That's not my point purpose here this morning. That is the Holy Spirit work. That's him massaging your heart of stone and trying to give you a heart of flesh. That's him saying, hey, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, this is the idol that I want to remove from you. So listen to that. Be open to that. Don't resist Resist that Holy Spirit. 
And we see in this story that we are all idol-toting Christians, right? That we would have been chunking rocks at Stephen. We would have been covering our ears, grinding our teeth. Some of us may be doing that right now. Maybe I'm just not seeing it. But you might be grinding your teeth knowing that you have something in your heart and in your life that's keeping you from mission, that's keeping you from being the church. And Stephen serves us well in this passage. He dies. I mean, he straight up is murdered. And it's not an easy one either. But he dies. And he serves us well. By giving us these two chapters, he serves us well. And knowing that. So as Christians, when we're, we're leaving here today and we're going, out on, we're going out into the city over the weeks and our family and our jobs and our homes. And we're, we're, living, on, we're living on mission and we're being, we're being the church. We're being what God has called us to be, each one of us. My question to you, and this is a question I put up on the, I keep bumping in this. This question that I put up on the website, uh, the weekly that we, we look at each week, is one of the questions I have for the family is, would Saul ring your doorbell today? Would Saul ring your doorbell, your family's doorbell? Would he come knocking at your door because you were living a life of the church, being the church? Not going to church, not attending church, being the church, being on mission. Right? And there's some questions up there to help you get through that because, because we see what I want to point out here is, and, and, and you might want to text your, text your questions or complaints in, but listen here. But Saul was ravaging the church, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, and entering house after house. He was going door to door. He wasn't going knocking on church building doors. It doesn't say this. It says, it says that he, but he was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he's ringing doorbells. He's knocking on doors. So that's my question for you this morning. What questions are, what, what idols are keeping you from getting on mission in your life? Remember to go deeper. Don't just think surface. Don't just think my car, my house, my job. Go deeper than that. Think power, identity, approval. Where are you getting those things? What is driving those things? What idols are keeping me from being the church? And then would, would Saul ring our doorbell? Husbands, as you lead your wives, husbands, as you lead your home and your families, are you leading a house that Saul would want to come knocking? Are you doing that today? Are you doing that this week? That's what, we, that's what Acts is driving the message home. And to be honest, my house has some work to do, right? But I just want to pray for you this morning and thank you for your ear. Um, and I appreciate it. Let's pray. God, I love you. We love you, God. Not just as a church, not just as a, as a, as a school dressed up as a church. God, we love you as a people. God, if there's, <clears throat> if there's hearts this morning, God, that need to be softened, I pray, God, your Holy Spirit would intervene. God, your Holy Spirit would wreck. God, that there would be just a wrecking of hearts this morning, that there would be a, a softening God, in our hearts, even as Christians, even as believers, not just, not just non-believers, not just people that are skeptical, not any of that. I pray for those people, but I pray for, I pray for the Christians in here this morning, God, people that call themselves Christians, God. I pray for believers. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come on them this morning, God, during worship, while we're worshiping, God, that you would move them to raise their hands, get on their feet, God, go to the back, take communion with their families or, or, or by themselves, whatever, God, pray with someone. 
I pray that you would reveal idols this morning, God, that you would make yourself known to every person in this room this morning, God, that you would make yourself evident. God, as we see in your, holy, in your Old Testament, God, how you were, you're, you're a holy, present God that is with these people, God. And I pray that that is what happens this morning with these people, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come on us, God, and that we would be not ashamed. God, Romans 1, we would not be ashamed of the gospel, God, that when we leave here today, we would go out and we would preach your word, God. We would preach your message and your heart to a dying city, God, to a decaying city. We would get out of these walls, get out of our seats, God, get out of our living rooms, and go and preach the gospel to a world. God, I love you, and I thank you for your word. Amen.